journey into space. The BBC presents Jet Morgan in The World in Peril. Morgan and his crew, under sealed orders, are about to leave for Mars to seek further information about the Martian plans to invade the Earth. They're to take off in the modified Discovery, accompanied by two remote-controlled freighters from the specially constructed launching ground on the moon. A few hours before takeoff, while watching the lunar sunrise, Jet sights a group of objects flying low in the sky. A photograph of the objects taken by the Lunar Observatory proves them to be the same huge asteroidal rocks which serve as spaceship carriers for the small Martian spheres which landed on Earth. As nothing more of the ship carriers was seen, it was decided that takeoff for Mars should go ahead as scheduled. Jet, Mitch, Doc and Lemmy climbed aboard the tall rocket ship to await zero. All went well until a minute before firing time. Zero minus one minute. But what was that? One minute, he said. It should have been 50 seconds. You sure don't? Sounded like one minute to me. Zero minus 50 seconds. There, clock's haywire. There's only 45 seconds to go. And there go the pumps. Ten seconds too soon. What on earth is going on? Position control panels. Be ready to take over on manual control if I give the word. Right okay, Hello, Discovery. Control calling. Hello, control. Things seem to be all haywire. The pumps, they're on. We know that. We can hear them. 20 seconds to go. Everything's haywire down here, too. Why, what's the trouble? Takeoff is... Yawning at a time like this. Fifteen seconds. But somebody started the pumps. The motor's bound to fire. Ten seconds. Turn them off. Do you hear? Revert to manual control. Turn them off. What's happening down there? Hello? Hello, hello? They don't answer. Don't get off your bunk, Mitch. You haven't time. Zero. Mitch, get back. Do you hear? Blimey, we're off. Mitch, get back while you still have time. All right, Jet. I'm okay. Switch to manual operation now. Let me... Televiewer, Sternview. Sternview, on. Height, Mitch. 4,900 feet. Jet, Jet, look on the screen. Look what's down there. Those perishing spheres, dozens of them. Well, we can't turn back now. But what's happening to the boys down there? Whatever it is, there's nothing we can do. We've taken off and we've no choice but to keep going. On me chest. On me chest, it's agony. Hang on, Lemmy. Oh, I can't stand it. Black out, for Pete's sake. Don't anybody black out. We've got to keep awake. We must. Control the ship, Mitch. Height, 7.6 miles. Velocity, 1,355. Course, Lemmy. Bang on. Radar, Doc. Okay. Oh, the pain. Oh, I should die. I know it will. Hold on, Lemmy. You must not black out. I'm 14.1 miles. Velocity, 2,000. Oh, blimey. Thank goodness. Oh, oh, I'm going to be sick. Take a deep breath, Lemmy. Concentrate on the screen. And call up control. Try to contact them. Yes, mate. Hello, control. Discovery calling. Come in, please. Doc, the television. Swing it round. See if the freighters are with us. Right. Hello, control. Space fleet calling. Ready to jettison booster. Come in, please. Here, Jet. They're there. Both long side. Good. 
Now, how about it, Mitch? How long before the second motor should fire? Uh, two minutes. Hello, Control. Answer me, for Pete's sake. Oh, it's no good yet. Ocon, get a peep out of him. What has happened down there? Oh, let's not bother about that for now. I'm much too worried about what's liable to happen up here. We'll jettison the booster and fire the second stage ourselves. All right. One minute, 25 seconds to go. You keep watch on the freighters, Doc. Right. Lemmy, keep trying to contact base. Yes, Jet. Uh, Freighter remote control now switched in. Hello, control. Hello, discovery calling control. Over. 90 seconds. Stand by to jettison booster. You ready? Fire away. Here we go, then. Now. Freighter booster's away. Well, that's something. Our remote control is working. 75 seconds. Hello, control. I've not heard from you since takeoff. Come in, please. Very well, gentlemen. The second and third stages are about to be fired. The next few minutes will certainly be more uncomfortable than the last. Oh, no. But will the motor switch itself off at the right time? It should. And if it failed, it would normally be operated by control. But they don't sound as though they're operating anything anymore. If it doesn't cut, we'll have to manage ourselves. And if we're all unconscious when the time comes to do it? One of us at least must remain conscious. Unless he does, the motor will keep burning until all the fuel is gone. Yeah, what speed will we have reached by then? Oh, enough to carry us out to Pluto, I shouldn't wonder. Well, not that we'd know anything about it. I'll call them up and tell them to have an ambulance ready. How much longer to go, Mitch? Forty seconds. Well, settle back and relax, all of you. Relax, he says. Have you got control yet, Lemmy? No, Jet, they don't. Then keep trying. Yes, Jet. 30 seconds. Hello, Control. Discovery calling. Come in, please. All set, Doc. All set. Mitch? Yeah, Jet. 25 seconds. All control panels are now fully operative. Everybody be prepared to cut out the motor at the appropriate time. Yeah, always what? assuming we can lift a finger to reach the button. It's only a matter of a couple of inches. How long now? 15 seconds. Stand by. Hello, Control. Hello. 10 seconds. Hello. Firing in five seconds. Four, three, two, one. Contact! Radar motors are fired. Good, sir. Velocity, Mitch? 5,320. Well, I feel all right at the moment. How about you, Doc? Not so bad, Jet, but the acceleration's hardly begun. Emmy? I feel like an elephant sitting on my chest. Hang on if you can, and keep calling control. Hello. Hello. Control. Hello. Hello. Answer me. Answer. Oh, no, don't bother. I couldn't reply anyway. Six thousand? Six thousand? Hundred? Lemmy! 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 He's out cold! Seven thousand? Thirty seconds to go! Get ready to cut the motor! Seven thousand? Four hundred? I can't move my arm! Not even my wrist! Mitch! Mitch! He's passed out now, Jet! It's up to us! Can you get to the switch? I'm trying. Ten seconds. A little nearer. Five seconds. I can't make it yet. Can you? No, dog. I, I can't even move. Oh. Oh. What happened? Did you reach the switch? No, doggy. It, it cut off of its own accord. Oh, it worked. Thank goodness. There's nothing wrong with the ship, then. How about the freighters, Doc? Yes, still alongside. Lemmy! Mitch! Oh, I never felt so crooked in all my life. Come on, drink it down. Yeah, Doc. What happened? You blacked out. Little Lemmy? Yeah, he passed out, too. He's still out. Uh, Jet's over at his bunk now. Uh, are we on course? We presume so. We haven't checked yet. 
As soon as you feel well enough, checking our course is something you can start working on. Yeah. But take a rest now. We've got plenty of time. Oh, too right. I didn't be told that twice. Well, I'm going to leave you, Mitch, and take a look at Lemmy. Sure. Sure, don't worry about me, Doc. Well, Jet? He's oh. coming round, Doc. Good. Oh, hello, Control. Hello. Hello, Lemmy. Can you hear me? Lemmy. Hey, hey. Oh, what's you, Doc? Did I black out? Yeah, you did. And Mitch. Oh, all me insides. Oh, feels all funny, like it's not there. <laughs> Swallow this, then. It'll make you feel better. Yes, Doc. Oh, I feel just like I've been on a scenic railway after a dinner of strawberries and cream. <laughs> well, you just lie still for a while. Yeah. You'll feel better soon. Yes, Doc. And if you want to take your mind off your space sickness, try calling control occasionally. It was fully 30 minutes before Mitch and Lemmy felt well enough to get up from their bunks. Meanwhile, Jet and I, between us, carried on the routine work of the ship. A check on the condition of the motor, the fuel consumption, and the position of the accompanying freighters told us that our departure had gone off exactly as planned, except that we'd left ten seconds too early. But, of course, we would have felt much happier if our findings could have been confirmed by control. The fact is, we couldn't raise them. It's no good, Jet. They don't answer. What is going on down there? Nothing but the sound of things. Well, there's nothing for it now but to contact Earth direct. Oh, in that case, I'll see what I can do. Now, let's see if we can get them on the receiver first, shall we? Your heightened speed indicates normal landing procedure. Track E. Over. That's them. Sounds like they're bringing a ship in. Oh, that'll be X-170. It left the moon for Earth just before we landed in the bay, remember? Yeah, that's right. X-170 to control your message received, and thank you. Normal landing procedure will be put into operation in five minutes. Over. Good luck, X-170, and happy landing. Happy yet. <laughs> if he only knew the trouble we were having. Now, just retune the transmitter. There. And? And there. Turn on the juice, and Bob's your uncle. Oh, bags of aerial current anyway. Now, here goes. Hello, Control. Spaceship Discovery calling Earth Control. Can you hear me? Over. Well, they should have heard me. Now, we wait a couple of seconds for the radio wave to get down to Earth and back, and... Hello, Earth Control calling Spaceship. Will you repeat your call, please? Hello, Control. Spaceship Discovery. Repeat. Discovery calling. Over. Operator down there can't believe his ears. Hello, Discovery. Control replying. Receiving you loud and clear. What are you doing on this frequency? We've lost contact with Lunar Base and we're feeling lonely. It happened just as we were taken no, off. All right, we just got the... I'll take over uh, now. Oh, thank yes, you. Yes. Lost contact, but how? Your radio seems to be working all right. Hello, Control. Morgan here. It's not our radio that is faulty. It's theirs. Have you been in contact with them lately? No, Jet. We never call them on this frequency anyway, but I'll report the matter. Did you get away safely? Yes, but only just. Now, listen, Control. I'd like a check on our speed and course. Would you attend to that? I'll see the right people are informed. And we'd like you to relay a message to Space HQ in London. But uh, it won't be ready for some minutes yet. Can you keep a listening watch for us? It better. Yes, Jet. But we're bringing a ship in. If he comes on, I'll have to attend to him. I understand that. Sorry to have butted in on you like this, but we had no choice. Don't worry about it. Hear from you later. Thank you, Control. Oh, well... Everything seems to be perfectly normal down on Earth, anyway. We'll make out a full report for Space HQ and see what action, if any, they expect us to take. Uh, we'll have to code it, of course. Yeah, I suppose that was Earth Control we were speaking to. Why shouldn't it be? I don't know. The tricks these Martians get up to, you can never be sure who you're talking to these days.
Well, velocity and course according to Earth control agree with our own calculations. That's something. How about you, Doc? How are you doing? Almost through, Jeff. Ah, that's it. Darn good thing we don't have to figure this coding with pencil and paper. It'd take hours. What will they think of next? Well, there it is, Lemmy. Get it off right away, huh? Yes, Doc. O-P-Y-4-2-Q-R-A-7-P-X-U-W-Z-T. What is this? Martian language? Oh, that's just the check copies, the tape you want. Just feed it into the transmitter. It'll do the rest itself. Yes, mate. Hello, control. Discovery calling. A coded message for you. Are you ready to receive it? Over. Hello, Discovery. Receiving you. Ready to take your message. Over. From Discovery to Control, day one, 1635 hours, universal time. Message number one, transmitting now. Well, there's one thing about these coded jobs. They certainly save wear and tear on the old voice box. Hello, Control. We got that lot. Thank you very much. And about time, too. What took you so long with the reply? All right, Lemmy, let's have it. There it is, Jet. Help yourself. Well, don't blame me, Lemmy. As soon as I received it, you got it. How you doing out there? Oh, all right, mate. Except we've travelled 120,000 miles further since we last heard from you. Yeah, well, don't let's boast about it, Lemmy. You never know who's listening. Oh, no. Sorry, Mitch. I forgot myself. Yeah, well, watch it. Yes, mate. Hello, Control. That's all for now. Call you again in one hour for routine check. Roger. Well, Jet, what does it say? It says we are to proceed with Tripper's plan and stay tuned to Earth control. So there's still no contact with the moon? No. Well, what are they doing about it? Well, if no contact is made within the next six hours, a ship will leave Earth for the moon to find out just what has happened. Yeah, let's hope nothing happens to the ship. Well, whether it does or doesn't, we won't hear for five days at least. It'll take them that time to get there. Maybe by now the whole of Lunar Colony has been Whittaker, controller and all. You're a cheerful soul, Emmy, aren't you? Well, there's no point in our pretending that nothing has happened to him, is there? We should think ourselves lucky we got off when we did. And whatever happened to the colony didn't happen to us as well. Yeah, Lemmy. Maybe we should. little for us to do in the ship. Every couple of hours we checked our position relative to the earth, moon and sun and carried out routine checks on oxygen supply, power packs, radar, radio, televiewer and other electrical circuits. We very quickly fell into ship routine. We took it in turn to prepare meals. Two men were always on duty, sleeping being arranged accordingly. To the port side of the ship was the sun, a brilliant blue-white globe, its corona clearly visible. Behind us lay the Earth and its attendant moon, both rapidly decreasing in size as we traveled further from them. The two freighters, both as large as the Discovery, coasted alongside us. In spite of the speed at which we were traveling, the freighters appeared to hang motionless in the void. Of course, being remote-controlled, they carried no crews. Seeing them there and knowing they were empty of any kind of human life made them appear uncanny. On our last trip, these same two freighters had carried two men apiece, and aboard number two had been Whitaker, the first conditioned Earthman with whom we had knowingly come into contact. How many others had there been? How many were down on Earth at this very moment? A week passed, 
during which time we covered over 10 million miles, left the Earth's orbit, and moved steadily outwards away from the Sun towards the orbit of Mars. Then came the day when we received a special message from Control. Jet took the decoded message from the roller and read it over to himself. He read it twice, in fact. Well, Jet, come on. What's it all about? The ship that left Earth for the moon. Didn't it get there? Oh, it got there, all right. And then? They've heard nothing since. Oh, no. Well, what do they do now? Send up another one? Oh, I doubt it. No point in throwing away good men or ships. Yeah, well, when did they lose contact? Almost the moment the ship touched down. The pilot reported he'd made a safe landing in the bay, and that was the last they heard from him. Well, what happens now? To us, I mean. We press on, of course, and remain in contact with Earth Control. What I meant was, what happens to us when we get back from Mars? These ships can't land anywhere except on the moon. Controller said nothing about that. Well, they better start saying something and quick. Well, what's all the hurry? We won't be landing back on the moon for a year at least. And by that time, the mystery of what's happened down there might well have been solved. And it might not. When we started out on this trip, we only had the prospect of the Martian landing to worry us. Now we've got the worry of what we're going to run into when we land back on the moon. If things at Lunar Colony are not back to normal by the time we return, we won't land there. We're going to free orbit around the Earth and ask Control to get us down by orbital rocket or some other method. Always assuming Earth Control is still in control. For all we know, the Martian invasion might take place while we're away. What do we do then? Wander around the solar system forever? Until we starve? Or the oxygen runs out and we die of suffocation? What makes you such a cheerful character? Well, it's better to face up to the facts, isn't it? They're not facts yet, only possibilities. Well, then we should be prepared for every possibility. If we call up Earth Control one day and get no reply, don't say I didn't warn you. Lemmy, if the Martians could take over the whole world, it should be easy enough for them to take over control as well. And give the orders, you mean? Well, if they cared to. Why they should want to bother, I can't think. With the invasion completed, we'd be of no danger to them anyway. They could afford to ignore us, leave us to get along as best we could. Yes, but the possibility of their invading before we get back is remote. Meanwhile, it's up to us to get as much information as we can about how the invasion is to be made. Well, I didn't think there was any doubt about that. Thousands of those sphere-carrying asteroids will approach the Earth, and from them, thousands more spheres will make the actual landing. Whatever kind of creatures those spheres contain will attempt to conquer the world and take it over. Oh, I don't think it'll be quite as simple as that, Mitch. That method could only result in interplanetary war, and war, in the way we know it, is something completely alien to the Martians. Well, how else would they do it? You know as well as I do. The Martian method is to attack the mind, to get people under their control by hypnosis. Once that had been achieved, their subjects could be led to believe that anything, everything, is quite normal. I doubt if they'd even realize an invasion had taken place in the majority of cases. You mean there would be exceptions, Doc? Well, not everybody on Earth would succumb to the hypnotic treatment. Thousands, millions maybe, would be immune to it, as I am. Yeah, and what would become of them? Well, I suppose they could band together, form pockets of resistance... Properly organized, they might even drive the Martians off the Earth again. They'll be lucky. Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. If we're lucky, the invasion may not take place at all. You think we can prevent it, just the four of us? What we find out on Mars may help the Earth to prevent it. If we get to Mars... Well, why shouldn't we? These Martians are no fools. They know what we're up to. If they wanted to, I'll bet they could snuff us out right now. All right. Well, why don't they? Because they realize that for the next six months, while we're coasting out to Mars, we're no danger to them. But when we get to Mars and start poking our noses into things they don't want us to know, it'll be a different story. We'll end up just four more conditioned slaves, just like Frank Rogers, Dobson, Harding, and the rest of the old fleet. If only we knew more of what we're up against, who the Martians are, or even where they live. There was certainly no sign of anybody on the planet other than conditioned human beings. 
And they'd all been brought up from Earth anyway. Well, those Pyramid cities certainly weren't built by Earthmen. No, Mitch, they weren't. They must have been built, oh, long before the first Martians set foot on our planet and picked up the first unsuspecting prisoners. We never went inside those pyramids. Maybe the Martians live in there. Uh, maybe. And if they do, do they ever come out of them? Maybe they don't have to. Maybe each of those pyramids is a vast control room from where the whole pattern of Martian life is operated. In that case, if they can live happily there, what would be the point of their trying to conquer the Earth? They've probably got fed up with life in a pyramid and want to change. If only there was someone who could tell us. Here. Maybe there is somebody. Who? The time travellers. Those fellows who are now living on Venus. Yes, the time travellers. Ah, we've no proof they even exist. Not one of us remembers meeting them. Look, the only account we have of them was written in Doc's diary during our first trip to the moon. I bet my life that we did meet them, Mitch. If we did, then we must have travelled back in time, as your diary says. Back 25,000 years. That's right. Then it must have been 25,000 years ago that the time travellers left the Earth and took up residence on Venus. That's a long time ago. How can we be sure they're still there? Or that they ever got there. Or if they did, whether their descendants will be as chummy as their forefathers were. Whether they did or not, or whether they are or not, it makes no difference. We're heading for Mars, not Venus. If we find the Earth occupied by Martians when we get back, we might be glad to go to Venus. Oh, we'd never make it. We've hardly enough fuel to get to Mars and back. Now, Venus is out of the question, so there's no point in discussing it any further. No, Jet. The thought just struck me, that's all. Yeah, and the thought strikes me that I'm hungry, and it's your turn, Lemmy, to get the meal ready. Yes, Mitch. I'll start opening a few cans. full journey to Mars was expected to take nearly seven months. Now that time is long enough in itself, but cramped as we were in the tight little cabin of the Discovery, it seemed an eternity. There was no division of day and night such as there is down on Earth to help mark the passage of time. The main clock in the control panel was set to Greenwich, universal time. The hours it ticked off were the same as those down on Earth. So, a day to us was 24 hours, nothing more. The scene outside looked the same at noon as it did at midnight. There was still no contact with Luna Base. A second ship had been sent up a week after the first, but the pilot had been told not to make the landing, but merely to encircle the moon and photograph the bay, the launching ground, and as much of the Luna colony as possible. But that ship, too, had failed to return. We could now only assume that the moon base had been taken over by the crews of the spheres we had seen landing. All Earth-Moon ships were grounded now, and no further attempts to land on the Earth satellites were made. In fact, the four of us were the only Earthmen now plying the spaceways, and we were some 30 million miles from home, and had traveled some 360 million miles to reach that far. We passed off-duty hours listening to the radio programs relayed up from Earth between routine calls with control. We played card games, or read books from our microfilm library. I did more writing than reading, although I must admit, after a few weeks of coasting through space, my entries grew shorter and shorter. Life had become so much routine, there was hardly anything to record anymore. Then, at last, after more than six months coasting through the void, when Mars was close enough for us to see the details of its surface quite clearly, even through the little navigational telescope, the time came for us to do something out of the ordinary. 
Well, gentlemen, the time has come to refuel the ship and get ready to slow it down. What happens if we don't? Then we overshoot our objective and continue our course round the sun for another few months until we reach the point from which we started. I'm not so sure that I wouldn't prefer that. At least we'd be near home. Yeah, but not near enough. The Earth would be in an entirely different part of its orbit. Oh, well, in that case, we'll stick to routine and slow the ship down. It's better to have miles to land on than nowhere to land at all. Thank you, Lemmy. What's the drill, Jet? Well, two of us will have to go over to freighter number one and hitch up the fueling lines. Lemmy and I will go. Thank you. Be nice to go outside for some fresh air. You, Mitch, will go down to the hold and see the Discovery receives her ration. Righto, Jet. You, Doc, will stay here and control the proceedings. Sure. Now, Lemmy and I will put on our suits. Oh. While we're doing that, Mitch can get down to his post and you, Doc, can call up control and tell them the transfer of fuel is about to be made. Well, that's me all dressed in me gents' natty summer suiting. And put on your helmet and test the radios. Helmet fastened. Testing. Can you hear me, Doc? Yes, Lemmy. Helmet fastened. Testing radio. Okay, Jet. Down you go, Lemmy. Into the airlock. Right. Now, remember, Doc, contact will be by personal radios until we're in the freighter. Then we'll switch over to the ship-to-ship system. Okay. Very well. You can close the hatch. Contact. Exhausting airlock. Hello, Mitch. Can you hear me? Yeah, Jed. I'm down in the hold now. Then let out the fuel lines. We'll pick up the free ends outside. Right up. Very well, Doc. You can open the main door. Main door. Contact. Oh, blimey. Milkman's only left us half a pint again. Out you go, Lemmy, and cut the cackle. Sure. And make your way down to the stern and pick up one of the lines. Yes, mate. Picked up the line and are now making our way across to number one. Roger. I can see you on the televiewer, Jet. Is everything okay? Yes, Doc. No hitches as yet. Almost at the ship's side now. Ah, we've made it. Now hitching pipelines. Pipeline secure. Point two. Now moving up to outer door. You and me both. And now we're outside main door of number one. Contact. Door opening. Ship to ship radio system on. Now. In you go, Lemmy. Right. Main door closing. Oh, put the lights on, Lemmy, for goodness sake. Give us time to find the switch. Here. Ah, that's better. And there's the door closed. You can fill up the airlock now, Jet, and we get upstairs. Contact. Suit deflating. She's filling up. We're beginning to hear things again. <laughs> Airlock pressure maximum. Opening cabin hatch. As soon as you get up there, Lemmy, switch on the radio, and I'll check the air replenishing system. No point in working with our suits on if we can avoid it. No, mate. Uncanny, isn't it? How do you mean, uncanny? I don't know. Coming into this ship like this, finding it all dark and without a crew, doesn't seem right somehow. It's like going into an empty house, one that's been empty for years. Hey, listen. What's that? What? didn't hear anything. Well, I did. Sounded like somebody talking. It's probably Mitch or Doc. We shouldn't hear them. Not now we're inside the ship. The walls act as a screen. That's why we need the ship-to-ship system. Listen, there it goes again. Yes, I heard it that time. There's somebody up there. But that can't be. There was nobody in here when we took off. They could have stowed away, couldn't they? Well, if they had, they'd never have survived the takeoff. There are no couches in this ship. Sounds like they didn't need them. Listen, Lemmy. Let's hear what they're saying. Understand a word of it. 
Yeah, I don't like this. Let's get back to our own ship. We can't. We've got to transfer the fuel. We'll never reach Mars otherwise. Surely they must hear us. What if they show themselves? Yes, why don't they? And if they won't, we'd better show ourselves to them. Hey, eh? Come on, let's climb the ladder. I'll lead the way. Oh, blimey. That was episode five of Journey into Space. Taking part in this recording were Andrew Foles as Jet Morgan, Alfie Bass as Lemmy, Guy Kingsley Pointer as Doc, and Don Sharp as Mitch. Journey into Space was written and produced for the BBC by Charles Tilson. <laughs>